Welcome to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Deaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, Arvigo abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method. This podcast will be part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood, and part information about the holistic health practices that I use in my practice. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Hey guys, so today is the day. If you are listening to this episode on the day it is released, which is December 7th of 2022, then you haven't missed us yet. I am having my live Fertility Awareness Method Essentials event today, and it is at 4 p.m. Pacific. That is 7 p.m. Eastern time. So I would love to see you there. You can sign up by registering via my Instagram. So that's rosebud underscore wellness. Just go to the link in my bio and there is a registration link there. And also, if you can't make it live, still register so that you get a recording of what we chat about. So it's just kind of an introduction to the fertility awareness method and all the applications of the method. So using it for birth control, for getting pregnant more easily, for assessing your overall health and well-being, potentially cycle syncing, all sorts of applications. So we're just going to be kind of getting into the basics of the method in this event, but I will also be sharing some information with you about the other course offerings that I have and some free gifts for you around that. So definitely don't want to miss it and hope to see you there. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am joined today by Brittany Scott, and she is a perinatal fitness specialist. And so she's a personal trainer and works both in person in Indiana. And maybe you can say like the specific area um, after I introduce you. Um, I don't know Indiana at all, but just so people can find you if they're they're local. And then she also works online, too, um, in this space. So welcome, Brittany. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay. So I love to ask women about their personal story as we were just talking about a little bit in the pre-chat. So if you can share with us about your period history. So when you got your first period, what your experience was like, conversation around you amongst your family, friends at school, anything Mm -hmm. that you can remember about early menstruating years. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually started when I was 12 and I was at summer camp at the time. (laughs) And in my family, it was like, we didn't talk about periods. Like I actually don't even remember my mom ever. I think she gave me like a book and was like, here, read this. But she never talked to me about it. Um, But so most of what I knew was from my friends who had already started And, um, so it actually kind of worked out well that I was at camp because I was with friends who were the ones who had told me about it anyways, and they were the ones who actually ended up helping me. Um, and yeah, that was, that was the start of it. I, and I still, I don't really remember talking about it with my mom that much aside from like, I need this now, like I need tampons or I need pads or whatever it was. Um, so that was early 
early on, do you want me to kind of like talk about some of my like irregular periods or anything like that? Like later on? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I graduated from college. I had an education degree, so I taught for a few years, but I quit my job and decided to live overseas for a year. And the first three months, I think I cried every day. Like it was so hard because I was very much a homebody. I love to travel, but I love to be home. Um, And like the family I was staying with wasn't very nice. And like, it was just rough. And I didn't have my period for three months. um, Where were you? I was in the Netherlands. Okay. In Holland. Um, And so, yeah, that was the first time that I remember like dropping a period from like emotional distress essentially because I was so stressed out that I just didn't have one for three months. Was there anything else like what did your diet or exercise change at all during that time too? Or was it like pure stress? Um I mean it changed both those things changed a little bit but not significantly enough for me to drop like stop having a period. It was pretty much just emotional distress. But that's, um, I mean, that shows like how much your emotional, like feeling safe and comfortable really impacts your hormones and your cycle. Yes. So and anyway, I mean, keep going. Yeah. No, I mean, thank God I wasn't sexually active at the time or I would have been very concerned. Um, but yeah, I, it was the first three months that I was there. And then as I started finding community and like friends and finding my place there for that year that I lived overseas and my emotional and mental stability returned, then my period returned too. So that was like a really interesting thing to experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I got on hormonal birth control around 27. So I wasn't on anything up until that point. Um, And I used a couple different things, Nuvering, and I had the depot shot for a while. Um, And what was your experience on depot? I've heard um, pretty gnarly things, but you're not yeah. saying anything yet. So maybe yeah. it wasn't so bad. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it definitely like wreaked havoc on my body without me really knowing. Um, I didn't have like super, um, noticeable, like mood swings or things like that, that would have been attributable to that. Um, but coming off of it is actually when I noticed like, oh, like, some changes in my body and like, uh, even skin wise, uh, my period didn't come back for, I had my last depot shot in like February and it didn't come back till November, I think. Uh, so it took a while for all of that to normalize and uh, I will never go back (laughs) to any hormonal birth control ever. Um, Was this just this past year or no that was in 2020 okay so a couple years ago that I got off all of that um I just use natural cycles now um and you know take my temperature and log all that information and um my body is so much happier <laughs> so. so two questions I'm so interested to talk to you about the natural cycles thing I don't know if you know I'm a fertility awareness method mentor. So my, like my approach is definitely more, um, I I don't know enough about natural cycles, but I I think that it's a little bit more like a femme techie and mine's a little bit more like manual (laughs) labor kind of thing, but I'm so fascinated by that. And, 
and interested in it because uh, I know that the fertility awareness method, like not everybody wants to be like collecting their mucus and analyzing it and creating a little chart. <laughs> like, I think it's fascinating and yeah. awesome, but I know yeah. like, you know, people that are like working a corporate job or, you know, like just have a lot of stuff going on that maybe that's yeah. not where they want to be putting their time and energy. Um, But one thing I wanted to ask about um, before we talk about that is the, just to go back to the depot shot, you said that you noticed after you stopped taking it, obviously the, your cycle was missing for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you said there were some body changes after you stopped taking it. So they were things that went away or like, yeah, just talk more specifically about exactly what happened there. Yeah. um, So I had had like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was like very bad acne, but kind of while on any kind of hormonal birth control. And I saw that like level out a little bit after I got off it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did notice like, um, even though I didn't notice severe mood changes while on it, I noticed less anxiety and, um, like fear. I always talk about my anxiety being like, it feels like somebody's like gripping my heart and squeezing it. That's how it feels. And I had way less of that feeling on like a regular basis. Uh, And I was able to regulate the ups and downs of anger. Um, There was fewer high highs and low lows, if that makes sense. Like my mood really regulated a lot. Um, And even weight wise, I found it easier to manage. Um, I'm not like a dieter or like... I'm not like that. Um, but I found there was less, uh, less up and downs with weights with weight as well. Once I came off of hormonal birth control. Yeah. It sounds like your body was just able to reach kind of like homeostasis and mm-hmm. be more yeah. balanced. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, okay. So yeah, if you can share about natural cycles, like how it works, um, and what you yeah. do exactly, like what the the labor intensive parts of it, or is it just taking your temperature? Yeah. Well, the nice thing about it is it can be either or. So, and this kind of is dependent on like where I'm at with my schedule. Right. So right now I'm pretty busy. So the only thing that I'm really tracking is my temperature and that's the basal body temperature. Right. So you take it as soon as you wake up in the morning before you get out of bed or anything. Um, but they'd have all kinds of stuff in there. Like it's just an app that you track everything with. So you can track cervical mucus. So they have, they have that in there along with like, is it watery? Is it an egg white consistency? You know, the different consistencies that you can have with cervical mucus. So they have all of that. They have, um, tracking, like if you get a headache, if you have acne, if you have cramps, if you have low back pain, um, all kinds of stuff that you can track like daily, every single day you have the option to insert all of these things. And then you can track that, like look back and see, oh, last month on this same day in the month, I felt the same thing or I was experiencing the same thing. Um, and then it predicts your ovulation as well, based on your body temperature, gives you options to use, like to take an LH test. Um, so you can do that if you want to, and you have the strips, but you don't have to, um, if it doesn't detect ovulation, it will tell you that. So it will tell you like it's predicted on the 18th of this month, but if you're, if you don't take your temperature or your temperature doesn't line up with where they think it should be according to an ovulation, then they'll just say like no ovulation detected this month. Um, so how does it 
predict because the the temperature that's what confuses me about it because the temperature can't predict ovulation it can only confirm that you already ovulated so maybe it's it's like an algorithm thing yes okay got it yeah so it takes like previous months like this is about when you ovulated last month so we're predicting you'll ovulate between you know the 15th and the 19th this month Mm -hmm. it'll like show you prediction um but you know like anovulatory cycles are a thing like for me I actually just this is why we got delayed because I got married last month and so I think since August I've had anovulatory cycles because my stress levels are elevated and so you know like your body's like okay it's not safe to like ovulate this month so like I had my period everything was normal I just didn't ovulate so um I said it's I'm like you where I find all of this like so fascinating to like track and follow um so yeah it's been really interesting well and if you were not using that and just bleeding regularly having Mm -hmm. these anovulatory bleeds, which are technically not periods, then Mm -hmm. you would just be thinking everything's good, but you know that you're not ovulating. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm always a little skeptical of like the algorithm based things because I, I know, and you know how much all of the different lifestyle factors impact when you actually ovulate. But Mm -hmm. what's, it sounds like what's cool about this one is that it's saying, this is the prediction and let's wait and see what actually is happening in your body. So that's kind of like a step above just like the, the other apps that will be like, you're going to ovulate this day and like based on nothing about your actual body. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah. No, it'll tell you if you do or don't. Um, based on the information that you feed it. So, well, and do you, are, do you have an awareness of cervical mucus? Like, have you been tracking that at all or? Yeah, I haven't like the past couple months, but usually I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I log that in there as well. So, um, you know, that's always interesting to track too. Yeah. Um, and so, okay. So if you're using the natural cycles for birth control purposes, like the ball's still kind of in your court, which is what I love to talk to people about of like how they manage their fertility, because I think it's like, oh, cool. I can use this natural form of birth control. I don't have to have any hormones. I don't have to have an IUD inserted. Yeah. Do any of this other like weird stuff. I can just track my cycle and then not get pregnant, but you also need to be accountable during your fertile window that you have some other sort of like game plan during yeah. that time. So yeah. if you can just share with, cause that's one of the things that confuses me about, yeah, it depends on how you use it because in the post ovulatory phase, once you've confirmed that you've ovulated, you can safely have unprotected sex. So some people just do that. Like that's how they use it. And then don't have any unprotected sex in the pre-ovulatory phase. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of how you approach it or, or use a barrier method or yeah. 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 Um, so kind of a combination of things in the app. So it gives you green days and red days, like based on the information it gets and your predicted ovulation. So green days are like, you're safe to have safe, you know, from getting pregnant, having like unprotected sex. And then red days, you should either abstain from sex or have some version of protected sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the more information you give it, like 
Because, you know, you, sometimes you'll wake up and get out of bed and forget to take your temperature or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the more information you give it, the more green days you'll get because it's going to be a more accurate reading of your ovulation. Um, but yeah, so I do use that like green and red days. Um, and then on red days, we just use a condom usually. Um, and that's, I haven't gotten pregnant yet. So, <laughs> so we're yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I, I think the condom is so underrated. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I think it's changed, um, in like the generation you're probably a part of where like the birth control pill was kind of pushed a little bit more. Yeah. But condoms were all the rage. I was just writing a post about this and it's, it's so underrated now, like that mm -hmm. you potentially, depending on how long your fertile window is, but say it's like the average of six days, mm -hmm. you would just, if you want to have six, sex, like all six of those days, which I mean, maybe you do, but yeah. maybe you don't, um, you would only have to use a condom for those days. And then the rest of the cycle, you can, you know, have lots of fun. So yeah. Um, it's just so interesting to me that people will stay on hormonal contraceptives for such a long time to protect themselves just from this like teeny tiny little tiny tiny little window. window. I yeah. And yeah. yeah, so it's um yeah, I'm so glad that you have found natural cycles and, and oh, yeah. 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 Well, and and like to your point of what you're saying, like there, in my opinion, and being in this field now there's such a lack of education around all of this. Like mm -hmm. I didn't know until I started doing my own research in my late twenties and like, oh, like hormonal birth control can cause a lot more problems than not being on, you know? And like, I was never taught that. I was never told that. So, um, I love that you are like bringing awareness to all of this because it's so important. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know either. I was on hormonal birth control for nine years. Um, when I was a teenager until my early twenties and it was just marketed to me as this like benign, mm -hmm. it's only good for you kind of thing. It's like good yeah. for your bones and your brain. And I, I mean, I don't know if they were just like bullshitting me or if they didn't <laughs> know themselves, like this yeah. was a long time ago, but, um, yeah, I mean it. And now I'll see things on Instagram where people, I just was looking at a post, um, where a woman had commented, like, doesn't the birth control pill make you like not ovulate? And I'm like, people really, they, they don't know still. And like, yeah. I we're so like immersed in this world that I think it's easy <laughs> to forget. Like not everybody knows like how it works and like the potential impacts on your overall health. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I would love to, if there's anything else you'd like to share about your period or your relationship to it, um, or anything about that. Otherwise we can transition into the work that you do. Sure. That's great. Okay, cool. So, um, perinatal fitness specialist. So if you can talk about what that means, exactly. We talked a little bit about, um, not everybody maybe knows what perinatal means. Yeah. So if you can share about like the sort of demographic of people that you work with. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I didn't know what perinatal was until I got into this. So um, when we know a lot about prenatal, right? Like prenatal yoga and prenatal vitamins and all of that. Um, and then postpartum or postnatal if you're in the UK or Australia. Um, so perinatal just encompasses both of those. So both pregnancy and postpartum. And I like to say that you know, once you've had a baby, you can't go back to not having a baby. So postpartum is really forever because there's this kind of misconception that at your six week checkup or three months or one year, whatever kind of limit, or when you stop breastfeeding or whatever, that postpartum is over. 
And that's not really the case. Um, I've seen what I do help women in their 50s and 60s that never address their pelvic floor issues or their diastasis recti issues. <clears throat> so um, it's going from pregnancy through postpartum. The majority of my clients are pretty early postpartum, like within five years, I'd say five to their kids are five to 10 years old. Um, but yeah, I mean, postpartum's forever. Once you've had a baby, you can't go back. <laughs> yes, I um, completely agree. <laughs> Having a two and a half year old myself that, yeah, I, I mean, it definitely, I would say it took about a year and a half for me to feel like normal ish. <laughs> and like you said, it's, it's never completely the same. And also like your energy expenditure with mothering is so different with the mm-hmm. amount of energy and effort that you can put into other like movement just for exercise and things like that is yeah really different. Yeah. 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 And for me, it changes <clears throat> how I do fitness, um, especially for moms who aren't like crossfitters or marathoners like they don't have these huge aspirations like of being some kind of fitness crazed person I want to teach them really functional movements like squatting and deadlifting and how to hinge like you're bending over picking up your kid picking up toys stuff that's gonna be really beneficial on a daily basis it's gonna translate straight from their workout into their daily life to help them feel better yeah So would you say that most people are seeking you out because, especially because you mentioned that you work primarily in the postpartum time, they're seeking you out because they have a specific issue like pelvic floor dysfunction or, you know, abdominal separation or something like that? Or is it just like, I just want to like learn how to move my body primarily? Yeah. I wish I had more of those. I don't think I've ever had any of those that just want to learn their body. Lots of times uh, it's just general weight loss. Since they've had a baby, they've found it hard to lose weight. Um, Incontinence and ab separation, diastasis recti are the other two, like the mommy tummy, like a pooch, whether it's from a C-section or vaginal delivery that happens with both. Um, Those are the two biggest ones that I see usually why they seek me out as opposed to any other trainer or fitness plan. Do you make recommendations because you mentioned like the weight component, do you make recommendations about them like nourishing themselves appropriately? Um, Because sometimes it can be related to like not eating enough, which can be kind of confusing for people, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I will. I'll give some pretty general like nutrition guidelines, but nutrition is not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have, I have a bunch of like dietitians or uh, nutritionists who specialize in pregnancy and postpartum that I'll send them to. Yeah. Because um, it's, I could do it, but I don't like to do it. <laughs> so I like, yeah, no, I can, compl- I think like referring out and having a community of people that, <laughs> specialize in a certain thing really takes the pressure off of you, like having to know everything, (laughs) you know, it's like, go see this person. They, this is their jam and I will help you with your, your fitness. But yeah. 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 Yeah, Cause I find too, um, there's so, there can be such a fine line with food and like eating disorders and mental health. Um, that moms don't need anything else to like make them feel like I have to eat this way or I, ha- I can't have this. I can't eat. I don't, I don't live that way. I don't promote that for 
anyone, but particularly moms. So yeah, I, I make sure I send them to people who are going to give them something that's usable and workable and good for their mental health as well as their physical health. Awesome. I love that. And very much aligned with that as well. Yeah. So since you mentioned incontinence, which I think is like, I mean, I see so many things on Instagram. I follow so many like mom accounts and sometimes I guess one of the things I've seen the most is, is women writing about like sneezing and then like peeing themselves. And there was this one going around where it was like to that to this song that was like because of you like and yeah. like pointing at their <laughs> kid or something and I was just kind of like I mean I get it it's funny it's silly but also I think even I remember growing up my mom would talk about like you know having to wear a pad and and things like that because she was like mm-hmm. peeing herself a little bit and yeah. um I think it's kind of been normalized and like you mentioned there's people like in menopause potentially that have just never dealt with these issues so are there maybe like some general movements that you recommend for people that are having that kind of issue in particular, or is it really pretty individualized um, based on the person, like where their specific weaknesses or tensions are? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple things. Um, Before I do that, I want to say like, I always like to quantify incontinence as being common. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, like you said, people normalize it and it is, very common. Lots of moms have incontinence. And whenever they like talk to me about it, I'm always like, that's so common, but it's not normal, right? Because that's not how your body is supposed to function. Um, so it's common problems, not a normal problem, because that's not how we want our bodies to work. And there's a couple things that I see that if like if I'm not going to work with someone, they just want some quick t- tips on like things that can help. Um, the first thing I always talk about is breathing. Um, which is like a funny place to start, but, uh, women tend to like, we tend to suck in our stomachs because we want them to look smaller. Uh, I mean, I remember as a teenager, like I started sucking in my belly as a teenager because I wanted it to look flatter or whatever. Um, but what happens is the upper abs tend to grip and then the lower abs aren't engaged at all. So it's gripping up here. This is really relaxed. Um, which is super counterproductive. And if you know anything about bodily anatomy, your pelvic floor works with your diaphragm. So if you're sucking in up here, your diaphragm and pelvic floor are supposed to work in tandem like this. And then they can't communicate. If you're sucking in muscles right here, they can't work together. So that causes, that can cause and contribute to pelvic floor dysfunction. So I always say, just let it out. Let your belly relax. Stop wearing your super tight, high-waisted leggings all the time. Like we've got to let your belly relax and be free. Um, So that's a place that I usually start is with breathing. And the second one is posture. Um, just because we, in pregnancy, often we get like the pregnancy waddle, right? Like you tuck your hips under and you kind of like waddle because you think you're supporting your belly better. Um, not only does it contribute to pelvic floor problems, but low back pain and a whole host of issues. But what happens is postpartum, we keep that as well. And you end up with like flat, like pancake, butt or like heart, butt, like mom, butt syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, And then you end up with rounded shoulders because you're feeding the baby, breastfeeding or bottle feeding, or you're always in this rounded forward position. So you end up with hips under and shoulders rounded forward. And we kind of end up like a turtle. And it's the same principle, right? Where if your body's not in alignment, 
your pelvic floor and your diaphragm can't work together. So nobody has perfect posture. I don't have perfect posture all the time. Um, but if you can be mindful of it throughout the day and adjust your posture, whenever you think of it, like you're standing at the counter fixing dinner, this is what I always do. I always tend to lean my hips like into the counter or into the sink or whatever. That's my like default for whatever reason. So whenever I notice myself doing that, I just pull my hips away and stack my shoulders over my ribs, over my hips and just fix my posture. Um, so those are two things that are really easy to adjust. Um, and then if we're going to work specifically on pelvic floor things, we do want to learn both to engage the pelvic floor, like with a Kegel, but the Kegel is not an end-all be-all. Um, we want to both learn to engage and relax the pelvic floor because some incontinence is actually a result of overactive pelvic floor instead of a weak pelvic floor. Yeah. So I'm getting pelvic PT right now. And as you were talking about the posture part, the breathing, she said the exact same thing to me. And um, the the posture thing, what happened to me is not so much like the leaning forward, but I lean backward. And I can remember like being pregnant, kind of getting used to that position of like putting my hands on my lower back and kind of like leaning back to, I guess, to like support my, my belly, you know, just like so much more weight than my system was used to ever having there. And I think I kind of got comfortable in this like leaning back position. And she had me stand in front of a full length mirror, which I recommend for anybody that's listening to do, because I felt totally straight. Yeah. I was way leaned back. And then she had me lean forward. And I look like, if you look at it, then I'm straight, I'm aligned, but it felt like I was like, like leaning way, (laughs) way far forward. So it might not be like a thing that you can feel at first. Like you kind of have to look at it. And I mean, that's where somebody like you would come in handy too, like to have an outside person looking at your alignment to make sure Mm -hmm. that you're actually aligned and you're not just like feeling like you are, but totally you know, doing a back bend kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm so glad you're going to pelvic floor PT. It's like every woman needs to go. It's so valuable. It is. I mean, it's, it's been really helpful and I've already, you know, I've had like three sessions, I think, and I've done it at other times in my life too, and felt like it was really helpful. Yeah. Um, so is that something that you also like probably a resource that you have for people as well? Oh yeah. And I, there's actually her PT office is like five minutes from me. Um, but regardless of where you are, I always try, I always recommend that you see a pelvic floor PT pregnant or postpartum. Um, even if you're not experiencing dysfunction, it's so, because there's such a lack of education around like female sexual health, that's what I find really valuable about like, or what I found really valuable about, about my first pelvic PT was like, you, she like got all up in there and was like, this is this muscle. And this is this muscle. This is what this feels like this. And it was so informative to be like, Oh, like that's, what's going on down there. Like I under, I understood my body so much better. Um, and then if you do have some kind of dysfunction to have the knowledge to help, help yourself heal. Um, it's so valuable. I wish every woman could go. (laughs) Totally. So, and then when you're working with people, are you giving, is it kind of like you're teaching them 
an exercise class, like in the moment, they're like actually doing the repetitions in that moment or, and, or is it also like things for them to do outside of your sessions? So you like meet weekly or like, how exactly do you structure? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I do both, um, for people that I train in person, um, like some of them, I meet with them two or three, one client, I meet with her five times a week. Um, some of them just want to meet once a week and then do their own thing two or three other times throughout the week. So they can take that workout that we did together and do it themselves. Um, the other times throughout the week, um, virtually I have an app that I use. So I put them in the app, the workout comes to their phone. And then there's like a written description as well as a video for every exercise that I want them to do. So they can just do it right in there. Some people meet with me live once a week. Some people don't, it just depends on what they like, what their budget is for training. Um, so yeah, I, I do all kinds of things. Yeah. (laughs) So, but it's all one-on-one, right? Like you're not doing any like group kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. 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 Cool. It's all and then do you, do they kind of choose it's mostly like budget based and also maybe commitment based, like knowing themselves enough to know, like, am I actually going to do this myself or do I need some like an accountability person? Yeah. To, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a great point because a lot of people come to me, not only for like getting in shape, but because they know they won't do it unless somebody's checking in on them. Mm-hmm. Um, also paying right like if you're paying for something and paying somebody to check in on you you're more likely going to do it than just like oh I'm going to wake up in the morning and do a YouTube video and then you wake up and you're like oh my bed's so warm I'm just gonna like stay here right um yeah but if you pay for something you're more likely to participate in it so um yeah I I get a lot of people that come for the accountability of it and the yeah the cost just kind of varies some people Um, and because it is a time commitment to meet in person, if we can't figure out a time that works for both of us, then they stay hundred percent virtual. And we might check in just like a 15 minute call instead of a whole in-person session. Um, so yeah, I try to be flexible because I know moms are, you know, working moms and stay at home moms, like everybody's busy. It's hard to fit things into a schedule. So I try to make it as accessible for every mom as I can. Yeah. Do you, that just popped into my head that it's hard to like go to appointments because, you know, you like pretty much always have a kid in tow, but in the early postpartum phases, it's easy to just like bring your baby. So is that something that people tend to do a lot? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like babies are welcome. Uh, You can definitely bring them. And like you said, the time issue, I had a virtual client for several months who I think every time she did a workout, it was at like one in the morning because she was up with her baby and that's the time that she had to do it. So um, that's the nice thing about virtual training is I've had a lot of moms just like squeeze it in whenever they can. They'll send me pictures of their kids, like doing it with them. And um, I also think that that's a really important thing for your kids to see you taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that when they send me pictures of their kids doing it. With I them. love that. That's so sweet. And yeah, the schedule with children is so unpredictable, like not knowing the naps and what their mood's going to be like. And, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, to stay consistent with something like at a specific time of right, day right. can be really yeah. challenging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so how did you get interested in specifically working with this sort of, it sounds like primarily postpartum, but also in the prenatal and pregnancy. Yeah. 
Um, there was a couple things that influenced it. Um, I was a college volleyball player. And after college, I wanted to work. I got certified. I got the CSCS certification to work with college athletes. And which I did briefly, um, I was assistant coach for a college volleyball team. And for one of my CEUs, like a continuing education, I, one of my options was to take a class on pregnancy and postpartum. And so I was like, oh, I'll just take that. Like maybe one of the girls will get pregnant or like, I'm going to be pregnant probably at some point. Like it'll probably be useful to know. And as I went through it, like all the stuff with like pelvic floor. And I was like, I don't know any of this. I've been an athlete my whole life. No one ever told me this. And I thought I knew a lot about like my body or like women's bodies in general. And I learned otherwise. So I was like, well, if I don't know, like moms don't know either. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So I stopped working with uh, college athletes. I pivoted and started my own business for moms. Um, And at the time I was in my late twenties. So a lot of my friends were married and having kids. And I find that you know, when you're pregnant, it's all like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh, you're glowing. And everyone's fawning over you. And then once you have the baby, it's all about the baby and nobody's taking care of the mom. Um, so I wanted to kind of fill that gap and give mom some like self care and self love and give her some attention and let her know the resources that are available. Um, things we've talked about already, like pelvic floor PT, there's mental health therapists that specialize in, um, like perinatal mental health, nutritionists, all kinds of things that are available. Um, and I just wanted moms to feel supported and cared for, especially postpartum. Yeah. I love that. And so do you work with anybody like before they get pregnant or is people not really seeking it out until after? Yeah, I have a few times. Most of them have been like friends or family or friends of friends that know that I'm a trainer that wanted, that wanted to do training. Yeah. Um, but I pretty much exclusively work with, um, moms. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I have, I, and I would say like 75% of my business, 80, 80% is postpartum. I do have at any given time, a handful of pregnant clients. Um, but yeah, my clients go all the way up to like fifties and sixties because you know, they're moms too. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. I love that. So at this point, I'd love for you to share about um, where people can find you, your website, your Instagram, where any other places on social media where you're active. Yeah. So my business name is uh, Mom Gets Moxie, M-O-X-I-E, which is kind of like an an unusual word, but um, it just means like a force of character and determination. Like it's how I want moms to feel like very empowered um, through fitness. The empowerment of fitness can kind of like translate into the rest of their life. So that's my business name because it's so unusual. um, It wasn't taken anywhere. So my website is momgetsmoxie.com. My Instagram Instagram handle is at mom gets moxie. My Facebook is at mom gets moxie. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, so I post a lot on there, um, both like helpful tips as well as like full workouts that you can save and do at home on your own. Um, so yeah, those are all the places that you can find me. You can send me messages on there. You can message me through, um, my website as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, any last thoughts that you want to share to any moms out there? Yeah. Um, 
just know that you aren't alone and just what you talked about with your own experience, it can feel very like isolating or you're the only one who's experiencing it. Nobody can understand like how you feel. There's no help for your situation. Um, there can be a lot of like shame and embarrassment around any kind of dysfunction, but particularly like pelvic floor dysfunction, because that's such a personal like area of your body. Um, so know that like you're not alone and there's tons and tons of help for you. There's people like you and like me who are here to like educate and empower you and cheer you on in your journey, no matter what it is. Like we want to support you to be the best version of yourself. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you again so much for being here today. Thanks. I had a great time. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. One of the other ways that you can help to support the podcast is by giving us a rating and writing a review, especially on Apple, so other people can find the podcast more easily. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community, and you can also find more information about my business and the offerings that I have both in person and virtually on my website, rosebudwellness.com, which is also linked in the show notes. In person, I offer acupuncture, Arvigo abdominal massage, and yoni steaming sessions in Thousand Oaks, California. And virtually, I can work with anybody all over the world with yoni steam consultations, or even if you just want to talk about other women's health related things, um, overall health, I can also work with you virtually. And most recently, I have been offering fertility awareness method mentoring. So I can do that from anywhere as well. So please reach out and until next time.